Well, good morning, church. How many of you love Jesus today? It's so good to be together. I want to say a special welcome to everyone who's joining at Elk River, at Maple Grove, down in Lakeville, and those joining online. Today, we had preschoolers singing at every one of our locations, and I just love what we got to experience, and just the uh, joy, and some of them have a little bit of strange fright, but this is a great way to start their uh, public celebrity careers. They can point back to this morning and say, hey, that's when I actually started singing publicly. And I love the work that is done from our different Team Emmanuel volunteers that serve in our kids' ministry. Can we give it up for all of our kids' ministry volunteers? We're so grateful and excited for, for you. And uh, there's always a need and an opportunity to join Team Emmanuel with our kids. So if you're interested, make sure you reach out. Let them know at any of our check-in stations for our kids. Well, today I want to introduce our speaker for the day and I'm so grateful that a couple weeks ago when Pastor Nate reached out and asked Susie Larson, he said, hey, would you be willing to come and preach and share a message on Sunday with all the different speaking engagements and being a radio host and then an author and traveling? She was able to make it happen today. And I'm so excited to be able to welcome you, Susie, to this fall. But can we give her a great... Emmanuel, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. So, so honored to be with you today. And the little kids, weren't they just the best ever? Weren't they? Yes, they're amazing. Yeah, our boys are in their 30s now, and that time goes so fast. I know it sounds cliche when you're in it, but you blink and it's over. And uh, some of you who have heard me speak before know that in my early years of speaking, I got most of my material from my middle son, Luke. <clears throat> he was what we called our wild card child. We never knew what he was going to do in public to embarrass us or make people wonder about us, you know. He's an oak of righteousness now, but I remember it's like so many times his personality surfaced during these Christmas concerts where people wondered who are his parents. <laughs> and... Um, I was watching these little kids, and I was reminded of a time when I think he was like in fifth grade, and he came home, Mom, Dad, I get to play the big drum in the Christmas special concert. And I'm like, the big drum? And he goes, you know, the big one, you get the big fluffy sticks, you know? And, and I'm like, oh. And as he's running away, Kev's like, this is going to be great. And I'm like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> he's like, what do, you, what do you mean? I'm like, that's not enough for him to do. Have you seen? They like pound that drum once every five minutes. I'm like... He's going to fill that space. I know it. And he's like, this is going to be good. <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be bad. And of course, we show up on the day. And then there's, you know, I have all boys. So it's like I always notice girls are just perfect little curls, perfect little dress, you know. And boys are all batting each other in the car all the time. And of course, he's behind, you know, all the perfectly dressed, perfect children. And he's back there with the big drum. And at first, it went okay. But it don't. And that was good, but it, that's all it lasted pretty soon. He just had to start. You know, and so he was like adding to this thing to the point where all the dads are watching him and all the wives are elbowing the dads going, watch our kid. And he's like, I can't take my eyes off of him. And he's doing this thing, you know. And I mean, it, I was like sinking down in my chair. And by the end of the song, he does the air drum like this. Thank you very much. Good night, he says. And uh, I just said, well, he's my nephew, my sister. She looks a lot like me, and I'd claim him any day now. He's amazing. He's with us today, but let's give him a hand. 
He's amazing. He's actually got an amazing sense of rhythm and is a really good musician and plays on his worship team at his church every weekend. So as Pastor Nathan said, that's where he got his start. So, uh, but I really do want to honor Pastor Nate and Jody, Pastor Nathan and Anna Leah. Can we just honor them? We just, we have the most amazing, humble, honorable leaders in the house here. And I'm so, so grateful. Well, in continuing this series, Prepare Him Room, that is the title of my message, Prepare Him Room. The word Advent means arrival, a coming. And when we prepare, when we walk through Advent, we not only, as Christians, honor that Jesus came, but we prepare for his coming. And his return is nearer than it's ever been. If there's ever been a time and a season for an urgency to live ready, it is absolutely right now. So when we make space for him in this season, it's not just the commercialized holiday. It is a sacred practice because he could come at any moment. And scripture says in Luke's gospel, Jesus said himself, if I return and find you about my father's business, I will put on an apron myself and serve you. It matters that we live with holy expectancy and readiness. And the opposite of that is distraction. It's despair. It's taking the bait of all the ways the enemy wants to lead us off the path of holy expectancy. If there was ever a time to be leaning in and listening to what the Lord has to say, it's right now. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for sending your son. I can't imagine what that must have felt like. And Jesus, for stepping off your throne, crawling into a womb of a teenage girl, born where animals lay, coming for the least and the lowliest of us, Lord. Spirit of God, thank you for filling us, for empowering us to live otherworldly lives. We're so honored to be your children. And for those who don't know you in this room, may they come to know you well in this next hour, Jesus. Jesus, you are the guest of honor in the house. You are. Spirit of God, we welcome you. Come and keep coming. Deal with our hearts. Show us our hearts, God. Heal our hearts, God. Heal the broken bodies. Open blind eyes. Unstop deaf ears. Awaken sleeping hearts, God. Those who are depressed, would you deliver them? Would you heal them? I pray they'd wake up tomorrow with a spring in their step. Those with chronic health issues, heal their bodies. You came. You came to die for us. You came to heal us. You came to reveal your will, your presence and power to us. So do that here, God. Do it here. Bring prodigals home. Reconcile relationships. Soften stubborn hearts, God. Deal with us. Heal us. Move in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Thank you. I love this season so much. I mean, I just love it. My mom and dad always made it a sight to behold, but I love that you can talk about Jesus freely. I love giving gifts. I don't really care much to get gifts. It's not my love language on the inverse, you know, but I love giving gifts so much. And it's just, it's an amazing time of year, but it's so interesting that some of our hardest seasons happened during the holiday season. And as a radio host, we have a live text line. I get to hear from listeners every day. I'm amazed at some of the hardship and the heartbreak people are walking through. And it's especially hard to walk through such seasons in this season, isn't it? 
because you have the backdrop of the 30-second perfect commercials and all the Hallmark movies, and it suddenly mocks your pain or at least amplifies it. It makes you feel like things are worse than they are and that you're more alone than you are. And that's why our temptation is to go commercial you know, during the, this Christmas season because we so much don't want to feel the stuff that is surfacing during the holidays. You know, speaking of Hallmark movies, I don't watch Hallmark at all during the year, but Christmas, I really love to watch those Christmas Hallmark movies. And my husband is a commercial construction manager. He builds things bigger, better, and uh, he just does. And so whenever he watches Hallmark with me, without fail, he'll lean over at a strategic time and whisper, if I was writing this script, I'd blow the building up right about now. And that's sort of the condition for watching Hallmark. I do think they would grow their audience if they blow a building up once in a while, but I'll leave that between them. But, you know, the truth is God cares so much about our beginnings and our endings, very much. And this is why the enemy always is trying to preempt endings and beginnings, always trying to get us to start too soon or too late, to quit too soon or too late. The enemy wants so much to disrupt the narrative of what God wants to write on the earth today. And I think one of the mistakes we make as God's people, when we forget that he's the healer, he's the redeemer, he's the restorer, is we go through life all year long not preparing him room. And as they say, life has a way of lifing you. You get battered by life and you pick up lies when life lets you down and you endure hurts that you hadn't counted on or losses or disappointments. And when you arrive at this season, the temptation is great to just throw caution to the wind and jump in with both feet and numb out because everybody else is doing it. You know, you eat too much, drink too much, spend too much, commit to too much. And it's fun for a little bit because it's fun not to feel the hurts. But the bummer about that is when you wake up on January 1st, toxic, lethargic, numbed out, tired, disillusioned, and you've lost ground, not gained it. And I'm not trying to be a killjoy here, but I am asking, what if we practiced a measure of restraint in this season? What if we suspended judgment about our story for a bit and we made some space to hear from God? And I'm not saying don't eat some Christmas cookies. I, I love the holiday. I mean, have a good party. Enjoy a few sweets. But I think we all know the difference between holy celebration and numbed out indulgence. And if the temptation is to jump in and eat and drink and spend so you don't have to feel, I dare you to ask yourself, what am I trying so hard not to feel? Because as Levi Lusko was on my show last week, he says Christmas was born in the dark. I mean, Jesus came not to a perfect time. He came at the perfect time because it was a terrible time. People were being crucified out in this, outside the city. The Jewish people were profoundly oppressed by Rome. And they were waiting for a Messiah to ride in on a horse and overthrow Rome and give them relief. But Jesus had the long game in mind. You know, I often think we want relief. He wants redemption. We just want a break. I want a break from this moment. He wants a breakthrough. He's always thinking the long game. He came and he didn't overthrow Rome in the moment. He came and upended Satan's story and claim on us. And if it weren't for that, the Gentiles, we wouldn't be part of the kingdom of God. We were the joy set before him. So if you're walking through a hard time, Christmas is for you. The message of what Jesus did is for you. This is precisely the time to bring your true story before a true and living God who delights in every detail of your life. 
So it's really important to identify what lies did I pick up this year when life let me down, to go after the healing that your soul desperately needs, to learn on a deeper level how to live loved, and to receive a grander vision for your life. Because I promise you, if you are in Christ Jesus, there's a next place of promise for you. And God wants you sober and wide-eyed and full of wonder and awe and expectancy because he's speaking daily the heavens pour forth speech. He wants to speak to you. And that's why the enemy wants you numbed out. Because if you're numbed out, you're not going to hear God. You're not going to see him. You're not going to get a revelation. You'll have temporary relief, but not the true deep healing that Jesus actually wants to bring to you. I mean, try to imagine yourself a year from now. What would a more healed you look like? A more confident you? Less fear? Less double-mindedness? What if you made room for him this month and next month and the month after that? And you trusted him to be the God that he is, the one who heals and restores and redeems. And you could stand here a year from now going, only God, only God. Daniel Darling writes this. The message of Christmas is not about manufacturing sentimental feelings and vain hopes of a miracle. It's about believing the reality that God has birthed something new in Jesus. And because of this, God will birth something new in you and me. And that newness is breaking out still today in the hearts of God's people amidst a broken world. I want to talk to you about three things. To tell a story, to see your story, and to embrace his story. One of the ways you prepare him room this season is to tell somebody a story of what God has done for you. Scripture tells us repeatedly, remember what he's done. Tell others what he's done. I think it activates something in our faith DNA. When we remember we have a, a past with God, a history with God, that reminds us we have a future with him too. So, Any of you remember home improvement? That was my life. Because my husband can build things bigger, better, and then he loves and you know, thinks about blowing them up. But he's just that guy. And I had the three boys, and uh, um, that just was my life. And my hubby just is great with tools. He builds giant things. And uh, he would, like if he was working on a project at home and I was going to go somewhere, he would stretch out the tape measure till it bumped into me. And he'd say, how long are you going to be gone? <laughs> I heard the men laugh first. So I'm sorry, no offense, women, but I'm just saying. Some of you are going to get it at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> okay. He uh, once built a spud launcher. I think he called it the Benford 5000 or something like that. And he says, sons, come out on the deck with your dad. And they thought they were in trouble. And they all come out on the deck. And he goes, I'm going to shoot this potato into the atmosphere. You're going to run in the woods and try to find it. And they're like, okay, dad. And boom. He's, I mean, it launched, launched into the atmosphere. We never saw it again. I, th I think it landed on Mars or something. But anyway... But in my early years, some of you know this about my backstory. I contracted Lyme disease while I was pregnant with our third son. And it's been a three-decade battle for me. It's been a long journey, and I've come very far. But in those early years, it was devastating, hard. And it, we just uh, had more medical debt than income. And so my, my friends had health and wealth. They had their health, and they were just getting ahead financially while we were falling behind financially. Our little house was falling apart. We had a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And in that place of feeling like I was a have-not, I was still new enough in my faith, I didn't know who I was. You know, you need to understand, no, no matter the season of life you're in, your identity is never up for grabs or changeable with popular opinion. When you are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, 
You're someone he loves, someone he's called, someone he anoints, and someone he appoints. But it is so easy to misjudge our story and misjudge ourselves in those hard seasons, which I had done. So I defaulted to a Christmas fantasy, an unhealthy one at that. I would see those 30-second commercials, the Christmas commercials, where the woman had high heels on and a dress and was baking cookies, and the kids were all dressed nice and not doing anything, which is like... How did they get that to happen? Anyway, and she's decorating the tree, and I'm like, one day, you will be mine. One day. I literally had this fantasy, but every year, things sort of fell apart. I fell apart. But the previous spring, one year, Kev's parents gave us a big artificial tree to replace our Charlie Brown tree, and I took it as a sign from God. My fantasy was coming true. And so when Christmas came, I was starting to feel a little bit better. I was just doing okay, and I'm thinking, this is the year. So they're out in the living room, Kevin and the boys, pulling out the Christmas ornaments. I'm trying not to burn the cookies. I mean, the the commercial always just made it, you know, all the cookies were the same size. The kids sat nicely on the couch. And I had this dream that this would all happen, and then you would stop by unannounced thinking, this is how it always is for me. (laughs) I mean, I took this really far in my brain, but so I'm I'm like, had it in my head, this is going to happen. So I'm baking the cookies, although they weren't the same size. I had the music playing, and kids out in the living room. And my dear hubby has this little thing he does when he's a little bit unsure. He kind of rubs his nose, like if we're driving. Do you know where we're going? Yeah, it's up here. I'm like, you so don't know where we're going, do you? So anyway, I peek out in the living room. I'm like, and he had this look on his face. And he knew how much this meant to me. I'm embarrassed to even tell you this story. But I'm like, oh, is everything okay? And he goes, yeah, everything's fine. I'm like, what's the matter? And he goes into a next gear. If things are really bad, he starts calling me names like pumpkin duck. So he's like, it's okay, pumpkin duck. And like, I'm like, well, uh, well, the names, the nose, what's the matter? And he says, well, it seems last spring when we were spring cleaning, I accidentally threw away half of the old tree and half of the new tree. So we got a half of two different kinds of trees, but it's going to be okay. Son, go get my screw gun. So he starts giving our boys, you know, go get my tools, right? And I'm like, tools? Nobody uses tools to put a tree up. What? And then my cookies burn. And back, this is back in the cassette days. So my little chipmunk's Christmas music, got all, I mean, it, this is like, was my life. And I'm like, no. So pretty soon the kids went from singing about, you know, snowflakes or whatever, let it snow. They were like, saw dust, saw dust. There were construction cords and tools. And I mean, yeah, it was that day. So it got to be around bedtime and I went and tucked the boys in bed and I went and kissed my hubby on the head and said, it's okay, honey. We really, we don't need a tree this year. It's really okay. We had no money. So I went to bed and I don't know if it was the middle of the night, but it would have been hours later. I roll over and Kev's not in bed. And I walk out to the living room And I see the living room's all cleaned up. And I see Kev sitting in front of a perfect medium-sized Christmas tree, holding the the control to the lights like it was a control to a race car. And I walked up behind him, and he says, I was going to make it rotating, but I decided to stop while I was ahead. (laughs) And, uh, but I was undone because I think before going to bed, seeing that mess, I'm like, this is my life. I don't know how my friends do it, but they pull off a put-together life. But this is my life. I mean, it really was. Just It just was. And when I came out and saw that Kev had a vision, he knew what he could do. And the thing is, it occurred to me, we didn't even have enough ornaments for a big tree. I didn't even think that all the way through. We weren't ready for a big tree. We were ready for a medium tree. And I crawled in his lap, and I wept and wept and wept because I said, you didn't give up in the mess. 
And God's not going to give up in our mess, is he? And he said, no. He's writing a story with our lives, and we can't give up. Amen. God is with us. One day, God will restore all things. And every puzzle piece will fall into place. And every story will make sense. But even so, because he's so good, he gives us glimpses of his glory in this life. And if you look for him, you will find him. And when you encounter him, you got to tell somebody. This is part of our God-given call. And I believe it so strongly that when we testify, I have a history with God. Let me tell you what he's done. It not only activates your faith, but it builds faith in someone else. Because one testimony begets another testimony. The more you share about God's intervention in your life, I'm telling you, the more you will see God's intervention in your life. Amen? Psalm 145. I've been living in Psalm 145. I can't get off of it. I've been in it for about a month. Here's verses 4 to 11. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power, which implies we know something of God's power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. How much brain space do you give to meditating on the miracles of God? And if you don't have a miracle in your recent history, reach back into scripture and grab one and pull it up front and say, this is the same God. He is a miracle working God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This one will have to do until he breaks through for me. But when you meditate on the majestic splendor and the miracles of God, it builds your faith. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. Again, it implies that we're testifying. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone, which means he's been really good to every one of you in this room, every one of you watching online. He's been good to you, and he will be good again. He showers compassion on all his creation, all of your works. That means all of us will thank you, Lord. All of your faithful followers will praise you. Listen to this. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. Tell a story. Tell your story. Someone needs to hear it. Second, see your story. One of my favorite quotes comes from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She says, earth is crammed with heaven, every common bush afire with God. Only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest just sit around and pluck blackberries. I'm praying with all my heart that for you this season is a take your shoes off kind of season. So it was a number of years later when we moved out of that little house where I spent so much time in bed and on the couch. We moved into our, the community where we would raise our boys. I was feeling better. Things weren't quite as hard. And Kev said, I, I'd like to write the Christmas letter this year. And he said, I just want to thank people who've stood with us through the mess and the hardship. Forgive me, I need a drink. Um, oh, that sounded bad. Did I say that in church? I need a drink. Sorry, I'll regret that later. I'm just dry today. I'm so sorry about that. Um, but Kev wanted to write the letter. And he said, there's so many people I want to thank. And I don't remember even what it was, but it was eloquent and wonderful. But he just said, you've been so faithful. And we've learned to trust God in the hard seasons. But he does their seasons. He makes things new again. He sent out the letter. And shortly thereafter, we discovered a lump on Kev. 
We went to the doctor and the doctor says, this is the kind of lump you don't want to have. It's hard and it's attached and that's not good. So he sent him to a specialist. This was around Christmas time. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Our kids were home waiting, family members waiting to hear. And we went into the, the medical office, which was across the parking lot from the hospital. And I remember before the doctor said anything, he flipped the scan up on the lighted board and I saw the tumor. I saw the whole tumor with tentacles, long tentacles. I knew what I saw. And he said, this is cancer. You're going to need major surgery. I don't know what kind of cancer. It's one of two. You'll either need chemo or radiation, but you need to cross, this, cross the parking lot, go to the hospital, get some labs, and we'll schedule your surgery. And remember, so clearly we stepped out of the medical building, and it was a dark sky, and the, sty, the stars were so bright, and the snowflakes were like cotton balls just fluttering to the ground, and we reached our hands, and we just squeezed so tight. We've been here before, hospitals doctors, medical bills, uncertainty. We've been here before, but this was still new because it was Kev. And we held hands so tight and we looked up and we just let the snow fall on our face. And we looked at each other and said, he's been good. He's been faithful. He'll be faithful again. And, and we walked, made that trek across the parking lot to the hospital. And I will tell you, I didn't say this first service, but radiation was brutal. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. I remember nights of Kev on his elbows and knees, rocking back and forth, holding his jaw. The anti-nausea medicine locked his jaw. The radiation swelled his spinal cord. He was in so much pain, I would reach over to lay my hand on him to pray. And he's like, don't touch my skin. My skin hurts. It was hard. And I remember our boys did not want to leave him. And we had this family room that we were finishing, Kev was finishing it with the boys, and it was plywood. I think the rock was up and the fireplace was up, but it was plywood. I'm, I think it was Luke. I think you were the one who spilled the stain, but I won't tell anybody. <laughs> but anyway, we had a big stain of, Spain, of brown stain on the plywood, and we called it our bearskin rug. And uh, Kev would sit on that, um, on that easy chair, covered in his blanket, and the boys just stayed at his feet. You know, friends would come to play, and I know the moms were sending them, go get the Larson boys, and they just never wanted to leave him. And I remember one time a woman, a neighbor gal came over, brought us a meal, brought them all, the boys, a gift bag to give to them just to lighten the load. And I think this time the boys were playing a video game, but they're sitting at Kev's feet. He's sleeping. They're engaged. And the lady's telling us, you know, the meal and the gifts. And I'm like, I'm trying to engage the boys going, isn't this nice, boys? I mean, she brought us a meal, and like, I'm not, I'm, you know, they're, they're somewhere else, you know? So finally I say, boys, what do you think? What do you want to say to our neighbor for this meal and these presents? And on cue, all three turned their heads and said, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, wrong conditioned response. But anyway, we're sorry. And we thank you. You should go now because I'm completely mortified. But anyway, <laughs> but I remember one day Kev came home from radiation and he, uh, he dropped his bag and he looked sick. And he says, what are we doing? I said, what, what do you mean? And he doesn't talk like that. I mean, there was just some. He said, what are we doing? I said, I don't, know, I don't know what you're saying. He says, what am I doing? And I could tell something was happening in his heart. So I scooted up on the counter and I just sat and held my breath. 
And he said, and he was a workaholic. And I'll tell you, we are all very open about that. I've written, we've written that about this before. But in the younger years, when I was so sick and our debt was so high of medical debt, he got three jobs. But when the crisis settled down, he didn't slow down. And he was a true blue workaholic. And he just, he just had this overdeveloped muscle. And in his mind, he was helping the family. But I'm like, I need you. I need you. We need you. You've got to slow down. But it just didn't go in. And in this moment in the kitchen, he says, you've been trying to tell me. I work too much. You've been trying to tell me. You want more of me. My boys want more of me. And he says, and I wasn't hearing it. He said, on the way home from radiation, I was in my car on the entrance ramp, and there were all these cars backed up because someone at the bottom of the ramp wasn't moving. And so people were laying on the horns and gesturing out the window and shaking their fists. And one by one, they're driving around him so angry. And he says, I, of course, would never have gestured, but he said, I would have been annoyed in my healthy state. I would have been annoyed because I have an important job and a lot to do. I was too tired. So I just waited my turn. And then I started to wonder if something was going on in that car. So I pulled up next to the car that was blocking all the traffic. I look in the window and it's one of my radiation buddies. And he's having a coughing fit. That's why he couldn't move. That's why he wasn't moving. He said, what have I been doing? I have a wife at home that loves me. I have boys that want to be with me. What have I been doing? And he walked over and I had my hand over my mouth I couldn't speak, and he just pulled me close, and we hugged, and we wept, and it was one of the most sacred moments of our marriage. It was around Christmas time, and see, this is the Christmas message. If we get lost in the commercialism and the numbed out, compare and despair crud, we miss these moments when the kingdom comes, because what the gospel is, is absolute literal transformation of the whole person from the inside out. First, he saves us. Then he transforms us. He does. This is, this is Christmas. This is what Jesus came for. And I look at my husband now. I don't believe for a minute God gave him cancer, but he allowed it. And what he allows, he redeems. He's not the same man. He was a great man before he got sick. He is my hero now. He mentors young men. He says... My dependence on God is my superpower. And that is true. That is true. One more story on this one as far as seeing your story. Many of you know, I've, as I've shared, I was raised in a large family in a denomination where I knew God was real, but I didn't really know Jesus was accessible. The gospel wasn't preached. And my sister and I were two of the first Christians in the family when we were young teens. And when I came to Christ and my dad... Uh, he was the mayor of our city, and he was gruff and snarky, and uh, sometimes not so nice. Sometimes he said things that were, and I was very insecure and very sensitive, and they hurt my feelings. And so as I was walking with Jesus, it's like my faith bothered him. Um, I felt like he cared too much about what things looked like, and he, cared, I, he thought I cared too much about what they felt like, and uh, we just couldn't. It was hard. We chafed. And then when I was pregnant with Luke... My dad got bladder cancer, and I remember sitting in the hospital by his bedside, grieved. He was sleeping. I was just grieved, like, I wish I had something more and better with him. And my mom came in the door behind me, and I, I think this is the first time I've ever shared this. I shared it this morning, but I don't think I've ever said this publicly. But my mom saw that I was alone, and she just 
She's amazing, and I've always had a really great relationship with her, but she walked up behind me, and she said, your dad was born in a poverty. He lived in the inner cities for a while in an apartment with his four sisters where his parents would disappear for a week at a time, and they slept together on one mattress and sometimes hung their, their cold food from the ceiling in the winter because the power was out. There was one winter that they lived in a car, and their parents were gone, and so he would meet his sisters in the car and sleep in the car and then go to school during the day. My mom is walking behind me telling me these stories that I had no idea. And God gave me this picture of this wealthy girl at this, in this big estate with you know, a mansion and the, I was fenced in and I'm at the edge of the fence and there's this little boy who's in poverty and I'm pouting because I have a tear in my dress and some mud on my dress. And it was a picture of my heart towards my dad. He didn't know Jesus yet. And the Lord thundered in my heart, you will honor your father and mother. And I was cut to the heart. I was cut to the heart. And I want to just tell you, there's times when the spirit moves where you receive comfort and joy. There's other times you're cut to the heart. But if you respond to such times, some of the kingdom comes to earth. Because we don't know what we don't know, and we can't see what we can't see. We're all blind in some ways. And as we walk with the Lord, he at times will bring comfort when we need it, but he will bring correction too. I was so cut to the heart. And as I started to honor my dad, when I understood what it took for him to get out of the life he was in, to show his family a completely different life, I started to see him for who he was. He started to see me for who I was. He got saved most of my family is now saved. He lived for 20 more years after that first diagnosis. And in year 2000, I released my first book. I self-published it. And he would introduce me as his daughter, the best-selling author. And I'm like, so not true, Dad. But it was so sweet. I want to tell you, I think there's an epidemic of dishonor in our day. On the radio, I hear from broken-hearted parents every single day. Honor is the equity of the kingdom. And if you withhold honor from who it's due, you're blinding your spiritual vision. In fact, scripture, the only commandment that comes with the promise is this one. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you live long on the earth. And in fact, I will tell you the young people who know the secret of honor are going to be tomorrow's generals in the Lord's army. Where there's no honor, there's no vision and there's no insight. But when we rightly honor God and those he's entrusted to us, we see things as they are and not as they seem. When we honor God and those he's entrusted to us, we see things as they are and not as they seem. I want you to imagine that first Christmas. Shepherds, angels, kings bowed before a baby because they could see the story. They could see the story. Those who know the law, who studied the law, and prophecies were fulfilled before their very eyes, and Jesus performed miracles, they missed him completely because they had no honor, no humility. It takes awe and wonder and humility and teachability to behold heaven. It just does. It does. They saw the story, and they knew this little infant was worthy of honor. That first Christmas, the angels, the shepherds, the kings bowed down. We see as in a glass of dimly, it's true, because we don't know what we don't know. But God also promises to bring revelation to those who honor him. 
and he will offer glimpses into the eternal realm if we ask him to. And when you start to see, really see your story, you will automatically start to see other people's story too because it's not all about you anymore. Ephesians 1, 17, 20 says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. That's intuitive information, that insight, where you have a divine download, where you see into a situation that other people miss. That is part of our birthright as Christians, so that you might grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I pray also that you will understand the greatness, the incredible greatness of God's power for us, for you who believe in him. And it's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So tell a story. You want to steward this holiday and make room for Jesus? Tell someone what he's done. And then see your story. Press in. God, give me eyes to see. What are you up to, especially in the painful parts of my story? I want your kingdom to come to earth in and through me in this season. And finally, embrace his story. Over 2,000 years ago, shepherds stood on a hillside as they'd done countless times before. They were likely guarding sheep that would be later offered as sacrifices at the temple. Imagine what a night's work might look like. The sheep, the sounds, the animal noises, the banter between the shepherds, the moon shining brightly. Here you have unsuspecting souls about to have their lives invaded by heaven. In Luke 2, 8 to 14, it says this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid, he said. Listen to this, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, I love the emphasis, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him. By this sign, you will find a baby not a warrior. He's coming as a warrior, but he came first as a baby, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now I want you to imagine these shepherds, the angel breaking through. That's enough to make them absolutely terrified. But listen to the rest of this passage. Suddenly, I want you to imagine it. This is not a vision. It's not a dream. This happened. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That first Christmas was anything but commercialized, hurried or overdone. Jesus came into a world through the womb of a teenage virgin girl, born in a cave where animals lay. The world did not make room for him. Still heaven celebrated him. Those with ears bent toward heaven discerned Jesus, even as a baby, Anna, Simeon, spent so much time in the temple with the Lord, cultivating such fellowship that they discerned he was the king before he'd accomplished one thing. Much of the world missed him then, as much of the world misses him now. Yet he came to us anyway. Every heart needs him. Still, few are willing to receive him. He won't force his love on anyone. But he came on a radical rescue mission 
And this is not just a once and done proposition. He saves you and changes you and heals you and transforms you and uses you in ways that are totally beyond you. And so many Christians live and die knowing they're saved, but they don't know they're loved. And when you don't know you're loved, you lived your whole life responding to your junk. But when you start to understand what Jesus did when he transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, you are loved. No one can gossip enough about you to God to make him change his mind about you. Your identity is not up for grabs or changeable with tough seasons in your story. In fact, for the believer, those delays are always about deliverance for many. Your story is just never about your story. It's about the big story. This is why when you start telling stories and you see your story, you start to embrace his story because it's magnificent. As I get ready to wrap, in her Bible study, Secrets Jesus Shared, Jennifer Kennedy Dean wrote this. Every step that Jesus took on planet Earth, the spiritual realm was shouting, this is what God is like. As he healed and taught and touched and laughed and loved, this is what God is like. As he hung broken on the cross, this is what God is like. When he rose from the grave, triumphed over the grave, this is what God is like. This is from my book, Prepare Him Room. The king of the universe is not a tyrannical leader. He's the savior of the world. The Christmas story isn't old news. It's good news. In fact, it's now news. Salvation is not just an addendum to the end of your life. And Christmas isn't just a quaint little story. When Jesus was born, God's kingdom came to earth. Don't let another moment pass you by without giving God the glory he deserves. He sent his son to die in your place. Celebrate with joy. Give meaningful gifts to those you love. Help the poor. Enjoy a good party, but refuse to let the commercialization of this season numb you in ways that God wants to heal you. Jesus came, and he's coming again, and he's coming for a ready bride. Would you stand? No matter what's happening in our economy, no matter who is in power in the days ahead, no matter the declining culture in our midst, God's light still shines in the darkness. And God wants you wide-eyed, fully aware, awakened to the reality of his presence, his promises, and his purposes. So Father in heaven, I pray, pour out your spirit in a fresh new way. Give us a vision for what a more healed, strengthened, established person that you want to make us be, Lord, and then the year to come. Show us what a healed us looks like, a delivered us, God. Father, I pray you show us our hearts. Some right now need comfort and joy. Others, we need to be cut to the heart. And may we humbly respond, God. Some are in this room or watching online or one of our other locations. You know who you are. And you're defaulting to things so you don't have to feel. And there's no condemnation, but there is an invitation. Get real with God. Give him that. Make the trade. Hand him that thing, whatever it is. And lay hold of his promise to be with you. He wants to heal you in ways you could never imagine. So God, we pray, come and keep coming. Fill us afresh with your glory. Upgrade our faith, deepen our sense of identity, open our eyes and help us to live in such a way that everywhere we put our feet, your kingdom comes to earth. We are amazed that you came. 
We are excited that you're coming again. Let earth receive her King. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out EmmanuelCC.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into the community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.